Amen. Well, good morning again. Thank you, guys. Wow, nobody ever says that. Um, <clears throat> do you ever wonder, uh, why are we so bad at apologizing? Just as the human condition, why are we so bad at, at saying those words, I'm sorry? Right? Does anybody else struggle with this? The difficulty of saying that? Rather than, you know, simply taking responsibility for something that we've done, uh, we try to, you know, we kind of blame shift, try to explain ourselves, justify ourselves. And sometimes we will go to extreme lengths just to avoid having to say those two simple words, I'm sorry. Right? Has anybody else ever done this, gone hours or days, rather than just acknowledging your guilt and moving on in, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, uh, you stick to your guns or rather <clears throat> your pride and uh, make life pretty miserable for hours, if not days, just to avoid saying, I'm sorry. As the late 20th century popular theologian Elton John put it, he says, oh, it seems to me sorry seems to be the hardest word. He says it with a lot better voice than I did. And if sorry is one of the hardest words for us to utter, I think right next to it are even more difficult as its counterpart. On the other side, I forgive you. But despite the difficulty, right at the heart of Christianity is both an offer and a call of forgiveness. Forgiveness, if nothing else, is the essence of our faith. It is the essence of both the teachings and the life of Jesus. Both forgiveness from God and forgiveness in turn towards others. As we pick up in our series, The Disciples' Prayer, we, we move to the next line, Matthew 6, chapter, or Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. You can turn there if you're not there already. And the next line in the prayer is this. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or our trespasses, if that's how you memorize it like I did as a child. Now, first off, when I, when I read this, I think, you know, why do we have to ask God for forgiveness? Because he's talking to his disciples, right? He's talking to people that are already followers of Jesus. You know, why, do we, why is he teaching us to ask God for forgiveness? Wasn't that already paid for at the cross? Right? Weren't my past, present, and future sins atoned for? And he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to followers of him. And we need to remember that this prayer starts with what? Our Father. We're going to him in prayer as a loving Abba Father, not as a judge, although he is that. We are not going to God for justification. That was done at the cross. We are going in confession to our loving Father, simply saying, God, I messed up. I messed up. And isn't this what we want with our own kids? For, for those of us that have kids, you know, we want them to acknowledge their faults in order to grow we want them to be honest. They want, we want them to have the relationship where they can come to us, where they can seek help and make amends. But it never negates their belonging to our family, right? It's not like, oh, Grayson, you stole, your, you know, you stole Emmett's toy one too many times. It was nice knowing you. No, but I want him to come to me as a father and acknowledge what he's done wrong in order to grow, in order to have this loving relationship. Or we can have confidence to go to God knowing, our sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But as we mess up, 
as we fall short, we go to him and acknowledge that sin. The call of Jesus on our life is that we would not only seek forgiveness from God, but that it would continue to go forth towards others. See, forgiveness has both a, a vertical component as well as a horizontal component. All through the New Testament, you see scriptures where it pairs those two together rather than trying to separate it. Matthew 6, right after the Lord's Prayer, says this, verse 14, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Or I don't know if any of you remember, earlier this spring we are in the Beatitudes. One was, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or in Ephesians, it's, it talks about forgiving one another just as God forgave you in Christ. So they always go together. And we'll unpack that, what that means in a little bit. But right now, let's just stay on the topic of forgiveness at large. In 1940, C.S. Lewis had been serving in the trenches of World War I. And then he became an air raid warden, and he started giving talks about suffering, pain, and evil to those who were involved. This eventually led to him doing radio broadcasts with the BBC from 1942 to 1944. And those talks are now gathered in what we know as the book Mere Christianity, which probably sits on many of our shelves. But in those talks on the topic of forgiveness, he wrote or originally said this, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive, as we had during the war. And then, to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. It is not people think this too high and difficult a virtue. It is that they think it hateful and contemptible. That sort of talk makes them sick, they say, and half of you are already wanting uh, to ask me, I wonder how you'd feel about forgiving the Gestapo if you were a Pole or a Jew. The idea of forgiveness is seemingly becoming less and less popular in our culture. I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote that in the 1940s. But right now, fast forward now, we're so enraged with one another that we don't really have much room for forgiveness as a culture, as a society. Some might even think forgiveness itself is wrong, that it's enabling. Earlier this year, uh, Vox Media did a multiple-part series called America's Struggle for Forgiveness. In just one part, they came to this conclusion. They said, the state of modern outrage is a cycle. We wake up mad, we go to bed mad, and in between, the only thing that might change is what's making us angry. The one gesture that could offer substantive change, or at least provide a way forward, forgiveness, seems perpetually beyond our reach. The consensus thus far has largely been that American culture has no room for the concept. In a tweet from March 2021, Atlantic writer Elizabeth Brunig wrote, As a society, we have absolutely no coherent story none whatsoever about how a person who's done wrong can atone, make amends, and retain some continuity between their life and identity before and after the mistake. In other words, everyone wants forgiveness, but nobody is being forgiven. How can we possibly forgive those who have seriously wronged us? Right? Like, because a simple disagreement, you know, that's one thing. 
But a serious lifelong wound is another. That's a big ask. Forgiveness itself, though, is often misunderstood both in the culture, outside the church, and even inside the church. And before we talk about forgiveness, what it is, how we might learn to do it, let's talk about what it isn't. Several years ago, I did a very uh, informal survey just amongst people I knew, just trying to understand why people don't go to church. You know, why are you not interested in Christianity at all? What is it? And I got, you know, various responses, but one of my dear friends who's not a follower of Jesus, but somebody I just love dearly, said this, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, the reason I don't attend church is because all this talk about grace. He says, you're telling me that somebody can be a murderer, murder somebody, and then just go to church and receive God's grace and just be forgiven? And he says, that's pretty blanked up. We'll say messed up, but he didn't say messed. Statistically speaking, you know, probably 20% of us have experienced some sort of really difficult abuse. And I want to say very clearly, forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. It's not the absence of justice or of boundaries. As my friend thought, you know, forgiveness, you just get automatic immunity to any sort of consequences in this life. No. If somebody has been abused, forgiveness isn't a lack of accountability. It's not a lack of even punishment or healthy boundaries. Good consequences are actually a way of loving people, both the person that's been hurt and the offender. So forgiveness does not gloss over hurt or sweep it under the rug or say it doesn't matter. But even when we don't understand, when it is still raw, we can still pray to God to give us a heart of forgiveness to those who we feel like we, there's no way we could ever forgive. So forgiveness, as we talk about it in the church, it's not the absence of boundaries. It's not enabling people. It's none of that. For some of us that have experienced traumatic things, you know, our next step might not be forgiveness today. It might be just to share with somebody that you trust what has happened. Or it might be taking the courageous step to get counseling or slowly even working towards healing in the hopes that you can get to a point of forgiveness. I don't want anyone to feel rushed to forgive, but I do hope and pray that whatever you've gone through, eventually you can get to a point where you can forgive. Not necessarily even reconcile or remove healthy consequences, but forgive. For the health of your own heart, your own soul. So forgiveness is not the absence of proper consequences and boundaries. So what is forgiveness? If that's what it isn't, what is it? If nothing else, we'll say forgiveness is the absence of the right to retaliation. It's absorbing the payment and no longer holding it over their head. It's no longer holding the mistakes of a friend or a spouse over their head. And forgiveness is going to cost us either way, right? Choosing to forgive someone is going to cost you. you are, you're absorbing the blow. You're letting go of revenge. 
But also, on the flip side, choosing not to forgive is also going to cost us. As we harbor bitterness in our own hearts. So how can we have a heart that is soft enough to be willing to let go of our right to retaliate? How can we, as a church, get to a place where we would rather bear the pain of forgiveness than remain in the prison of bitterness? A few things. One, I think, first, we need to understand the just punishment for sin. Dane Ortland says this. He says, The very act of forgiveness is founded on the notion that I am overlooking now what God will not overlook. Or Paul says in Romans 12, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. When we forgive, we're trusting in God that, that, that he is more just than we are, that we can defer to him. When we seek vengeance on our own, when we feel like we need to exact justice right now, we're saying, I'm more just than you, God. I understand more what they deserve. But when we understand that God deals with sin, God is just and God sees the things you guys have been through, only then can we offer forgiveness. Because look, God hates wickedness, especially wickedness done against the vulnerable. Some of Jesus' harshest words were towards that. You know, sometimes we have difficulty with some of these doctrines of God about how he hates sin and wickedness and punishment. But when you're the person that's experienced abuse or trauma or just tragic things, you can know that God sees you, God saw what happened to you, and God is not indifferent to the evil that is done against you. This is good news that God hates wickedness, that he sees the vulnerable, and he's not indifferent. Also, we need to understand the weight of our own sin to have humility before God and before others. We cannot forgive others when we view ourselves as better than them. You can't forgive others when you don't believe you need any forgiveness in your life. When I was um, growing up, I played uh, basketball all through middle school and high school. And in high school, you know, I grew up in northern Minnesota where all the best basketball players come from. Um, I thought I was pretty good. Okay, I thought, Kevin McHale's from northern Minnesota, though, so, okay, there's at least one person that was actually good. Um, but in high school, you know, I was looking around at everybody, and I thought, you know, I'm actually pretty decent. I'm not, like, you know, the best on the team, but we had a really good team, and so I'm, like, I'm up there at least. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty decent. You know, we had a successful high school career and great memories, and I just thought, you know, I'm really not that bad. In fact, I'm actually pretty decent. And then I went to college and uh, played a couple years of uh, very humbling college basketball. And uh, very quickly, I, I was humbled and I realized, you know, I'm really not that good at basketball. I mean, like, I'm a 6'2 white dude who can't jump. I don't really have that much to offer. And it was such a rude awakening because when I looked out at my high school peers, I thought, you know, I'm pretty decent. I'm really not that bad. 
But when I got to college, I realized uh, it was a whole different category. It was a whole different standard. I was measuring myself this whole time by the wrong standard. In the same way, when we look out horizontally, we think, at least I'm better than that person. Sorry. (laughs) That person. But when we look upward at the holiness of God, we realize there's this whole new category and there's this whole new standard. And we realize, I got nothing. Only then can we have the humility to extend forgiveness horizontally. Right? Because the reason you won't forgive someone for their sin is because you don't believe your sin against God is all really that bad. And when you don't think your sin against God is all that bad, you don't realize the gravity of the forgiveness that you have received from him. Right? Because you feel entitled to it. Kind of like he owes you a little bit. Because at least I'm not like that person. And since your sin and your mind isn't that bad, as bad as theirs, you feel like you've halfway earned it. You've halfway earned the forgiveness of God. Like we're spotting God or something. Like he's doing most of the heavy lifting, but I'm going to help him a little bit. Luke 18 puts it this way. Verse 9, Jesus says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, a religious leader, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. He feels justified. This is us in regards to forgiveness. Some of us, we feel justified. At least I'm not as bad as that person. Yeah, I've sinned against you, God. Like, you know, I did that thing. But at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not doing that. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not that. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Look, Christianity itself takes humility. You can't accept a gospel that you don't believe you need. If you think you can just justify yourselves. It's only when we realize that, man, without God, I'm a train wreck. Without God, I've got nothing. And that is the heart that understands the gospel, understands forgiveness. Or in Isaiah, remember the passage in Isaiah 6 where God reveals himself to Isaiah? Verse 3 says this, his response, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. So God reveals himself to Isaiah. He sees God for who he really is. And what was his next response? Was it, I'm a pretty good guy. At least I'm not as bad as that person. No, verse 5 says this. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. When he saw who God really was, he didn't conclude, 
I'm a pretty good guy. He fell on his face, realized his brokenness, realized his need for forgiveness. Look, when we are only looking out horizontally, then we don't think our sin is that big of a deal. I mean, it's just a little sin, right? Just a little thing here or there, a little lie, whatever. But when we look vertically at the sinless, holy, perfect God, we see that any sin is repugnant to him. Only then, when we understand that, can we extend forgiveness. Are you withholding from someone else what you have gladly accepted from God? Lastly, we need to understand the weight of God's forgiveness towards us, the beauty and joy of God's forgiveness. Look at Luke 23, verse 32. As Jesus is headed to the cross, it says, Two others, two criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, or Golgotha, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus, looking down, seeing the people that are crucifying him, says this, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. God became flesh and carried a cross only to be crucified on it. Now, why did he do it? Why? To be able to make a payment for the debt that we all owe all of us, so that he could purchase that forgiveness for us. Even for those who literally nailed him there, he says, Father, forgive. Forgive. And that's how much God cares for you. That's how much God loves you, that he was willing to endure that so he could intercede for us all, be our advocate and intercede for us, saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. He didn't pretend our sin doesn't matter. He doesn't enable us, but he counted the cost and he paid for it himself. Maybe your problem isn't that you can't accept the fact that you are a sinner. But maybe your problem is you can't accept the fact that you're forgiven. You're happy acknowledging you're a sinner, but you can't believe that you are loved as a saint. And the reason you can't extend forgiveness is because you haven't actually received it or believed it yourself. Forgiveness takes the humility to realize and actually believe that we have been forgiven for all the worst parts of us the things we wish we could go back and change, where we wish we could have do-overs. He has forgiven that in Christ. And you can't extend grace to others when you haven't accepted the grace given to you. Ray Ortland puts it this way. He says, At the cross, God didn't sweep our evil under the rug, but exposed it and paid for it. The love of God is not a cheap compromise. His forgiveness is noble forgiveness. That's why when God washes you clean of all your sins in the blood of Christ, you can allow yourself to feel forgiven. Freedom is what God wants for you. The cross was the price he was willing to pay. 
you can accept his grace with a clear conscience. That's the offer. Forgiveness required a payment, and he paid it. And forgiveness requires a payment. Are we willing to absorb that for somebody else? God was willing to absorb it for you. So when Jesus says, if you don't forgive, your heavenly, heavenly Father won't forgive you. It's not that your forgiveness towards others unlocks God's forgiveness to you. It's actually quite the opposite. That experiencing the forgiveness of God towards you unlocks the desire and ability, ability to extend that forgiveness towards others. You know, I used to think, this is really dumb, but I used to think the mark of a mature believer was kind of like how heated they got about everything. It doesn't make any sense, I know. Um, but, I, but people that were constantly like mowing down people in the name of truth, I'm like, oh my gosh, look how much they care. They care about the Bible way more than I do. They care about truth so much more than I. And so I thought, yeah, that's the standard. That's kind of like what a mature believer is. They're kind of like a self-righteous jerk, but they must be doing something right. But here we see the litmus test of a mature believer, which we're all supposed to be growing towards in Christ, maturity. The litmus test is how easily they forgive. How gracious they are. How merciful they are. How much they desire to forgive. If you are totally unable to forgive or, or you don't even have any desire in your heart for forgiveness, you need to ask, have I really experienced the grace and forgiveness of Christ towards me? Or if you feel like you have, then we need to ask, do I really understand the cost of that forgiveness? Do I understand the cost of the cross? Worship team, you can come back up. This petition helps us see whether we have experienced the gospel or not. Or it helps us monitor, at least, our spiritual health. Right? Because if I only care about everybody else's sin and I don't recognize my own, what does that say about the state of my heart before God? Right? We often excuse ourselves for things we would never let go on somebody else. I'm never letting my spouse get away with that, but I might do it. I'm never letting my kids get away with that or my roommate or whoever it is. Sometimes we hold others to a higher standard while letting ourselves have a free pass. For any of you that are married, say you're going through a difficult time. I hope you're not, but let's do a hypothetical. Say you're, going, you're having troubles in your marriage and uh, you, you see a friend or a counselor or someone and they say, hey, you know, this is off the record. Just tell me, what's, what's the problem? Just let's be honest. Let's just cut right to it. What's the problem in your marriage? What would you say? What would you say? Would your answer be, it's me. It's me. I'm the problem. I need to grow. I'm still too selfish. Or immediately would you think about all the things that your spouse does wrong? If she would only do this, if he would only do this, she's always doing this. 
if you just change here, then we'd be good. We'd be good. Or for, for us that aren't married, maybe a friend, a roommate, a family member. As C.S. Lewis summarizes in The Weight of Glory, he says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We are supposed to be a window to the heart of God for others, right? That the beam of forgiveness of God would radiate through us and continue towards others, that it doesn't stop here. It's not something we receive and then hold on to, but something that shines through us, we receive and we extend. So it's only when we understand the gravity of our debt and the cost of God's forgiveness towards us that we can honestly pray, forgive those who have sinned against us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our sins and teach us to forgive those who have sinned against us. God, give us a desire to forgive. For us that have gone through difficulty or horrible things, God, we pray that we would come to a place of healing rather than bitterness, and that we can extend the forgiveness of you towards others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.